So we continue to look at 1 John. I want to start with verse 10. <clears throat> it's the last verse we looked at last week. It says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not from God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because he, we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another just as He commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. May God bless and use his words in our life today. We are looking forward to looking at the word together uh, this morning. It's funny, some of the things that you remember and some of the things that you don't remember are funny as, as, as well, but you don't know what they are because... You don't really remember them. Uh, but I was remembering uh, this week that when I was in grade school, there was, a, there was one book in our school library that we weren't allowed to check out. At least kids my age weren't allowed to, to check out. It was an old Civil War book called uh, The Red Badge of Courage. And for whatever reason, it was determined that at this age, you know, we couldn't read that book. And so kind of it went on my list. Man, as soon as I can, I'm going to read that book. Well, apparently that passed because I still haven't read that uh, book. Uh, but it was just interesting that here was this one book you're not allowed to read. Um, at about the same time in grade school, there was a poster we weren't allowed to order. Now that seems a little bit strange, but we had a teacher that would bring in this catalog of posters. I don't know if he was making money on the side. I don't know what the deal was, uh, but we would order posters and, and the girls would order 
posters of, of little puppies and ponies and those kinds of things. And I'm sure that the guys would order uh, posters of some sports team and stuff like that. You, you could order all kinds of things. You just put your 75 cents down and, and you could order this poster. But, but we did it three or four times a year. And, and every time there, there was this one poster that says you're not allowed to order that poster. That, that, that poster is, is off limits. You, you cannot order this poster. Hundreds of posters. You cannot order this poster. And uh, the, the poster, and I, I try to find a copy of it and try to remember exactly uh, what the forbidden poster was. Uh, but it was a poster that said, love. And it had just a really groovy, hippie-looking font. It may have had a peace symbol in the middle of it and all that. But he was adamant. That is not love. And we were not allowed to order uh, that poster. I have some in the back if anyone wants to order them. No. I never got to order it. I, I don't know what it is. Now, that was kind of strange. He, he had an issue with a font, <laughs> basically, is, is where he was. Now, the, the reason why I bring this up is because love is pretty big deal in our faith. It's pretty central to our faith. It is at the heart of the story. In fact, the Apostle John, as he writes to us in this passage of Scripture, he says, here's what you know from the beginning. Here is the message from the start that you love one another. It's almost as though, and he probably wouldn't do this, but it's almost as though he would say your faith is like a board game and here is the square that you begin. Here is the start of the whole thing. Here is the message that you have heard from the beginning. Love one another. Love one another. Now, there's a little bit of a challenge for us as we take a look at this passage of Scripture, and we think there's a little bit of a challenge for me because there's nobody here I'm pretty sure, that's going to argue with that statement that we should love one another. I mean, if we can't get 100% agreement on a statement that says we should love one another, then, man, we, we are even more broken than, than, as a world than, 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 I, than I realize. But here's the struggle. We, we can nod our head, we can agree with it, and, and we can really get comprehensive affirmation that says, yes, we should love one another, but our experience from the outside in and even from the inside out is that we live a little short of love. We, we, we live in a world where love is a struggle and sometimes we contribute to that. Our experience is that, man, I really want to love. I, I really want that to be a major characteristic of my life. But, man, that's hard. I, I got to tell you, I know this because I've been getting ready to preach this all week. And so just about every day, multiple times a day, I kind of have a little check mark in my mind. All right, Tim, how you doing on loving one another? How, how are you doing on love today? And, and sometimes when I was taking a nap, I was doing really, really well. But when I was actually circulating among people, man, 
it's a struggle. And so on the one hand, this message is really, really simple. Love one another. Yeah, we agree with that. But the execution of it is a little bit more difficult. I think that's part of the reason why John takes the time to unfold these truths. And so let's try to just see what John wants us to see in this passage when he says, listen, from the beginning, the very first message that you had, love one another. And as he starts to unfold this, the first thing that he gives us is he gives us a terrible example of love. In fact, really what he's doing is giving us the opposite of love. He, he's providing this contrast. He says you should love your, your brothers. He says this is the message that you've heard from the beginning. Love one another. And he says, don't be like Cain. Don't be like Cain. Now listen, this is a really key thing. We, we should get bumper stickers and we should get t-shirts printed. Don't be like Cain. Why should you not be like Cain? Killed his brother. He murdered his brother. In fact, the Greek language here, they tell me, really is, this is a really intensive word. It almost goes all the way to say, he butchered his brother. Don't be like Cain. We should love one another. And if you want to understand what loving one another is, don't be like Cain, who killed his brother. Now, now why did Cain kill his brother? The, the passage tells us a couple of things. One, he killed his brother because he was the under the influence of, of evil. We talked about that last week, that, that there is a call on our lives to be under the influence of God, to be under His leadership, to be under His direction. And sometimes, like, well, I don't feel like being under His direction. But the opposite of that is that if we're not going to be under His direction, then we are under the direction of the evil one. We're under the direction of Satan. And Scripture tells us that part of the reason why Cain killed his brother is that he had put himself under the influence, under the direction of the wrong authority. But it also tells us that Cain killed his brother because Cain's actions were evil and his brothers were righteous, and that bugged the snot out of him. In fact, basically, it tells us that Cain was moved to this violence at its core because of insecurity in his own life. He saw something in someone else's life compared to what it was in his own life. And it began to fill him with anger and with rage. I think there remains some truth to that. I think one of the reasons why you and I sometimes struggle to love other people is because of some insecurity inside of ourselves. We, we, we look at someone else and then we put our life next to them. And there's something about that comparison that we don't like. We perceive that they are better. We perceive that they are smug. We perceive that they are right. We perceive that they've got something better than we have. And then our own insecurities click in and say, oh, I'm not good enough. I didn't do this right. Oh, this. And that just feeds inside of us. And so the first thing, when John says, love one another, he says, don't be like Cain, who put himself under the influence, under the authority of the evil one. Don't be like Cain, who allowed personal insecurities of his own brokenness and flaws 
to lead him not to repentance, not to restoration, but to anger and to violence and to murder. So he says, don't, if we're going to talk about love one another, not like Cain. Don't, don't be like Cain. So he gives us this terrible example or this contrast, the opposite of what we should do. But then he also gives us the, the, the perfect example. If you kind of move down from verse 11 down to, to, to verse 16, it tells, us, it tells us that we should love like he loved. He says, this is how we know love, that he laid down his life for us. I think it's interesting, he doesn't use the word Jesus here. He doesn't say you got to be like Jesus. But it's so clear there's only one person who's ever laid down his life for us. That was Jesus. And so he immediately points us and moves us in that direction and says, listen, here is the perfect example of what it means to love one another. And he begins to describe the way in which Jesus loves us. And, and in fact, he tells us, and we ought to do the same thing. We ought to follow the example of Jesus. This is what he did. This is what we ought to do for ourselves. And so if we want to understand what love is, and this is what he says, this is how you know what love is, you, you look at Jesus. We, we discover here that, that love is sacrificial. You see, I, I think right there is some of the core that makes love so difficult is it's, it's inconvenient. It calls for us to rearrange our life. It says sometimes I've got to take what's coming to me what I've earned, what my resources are, and I've got to give them to somebody else. I've got to determine that someone else is more important than myself. I've got to put them ahead of me. And so just like Jesus sacrificed himself for us, we are called to sacrifice for others. He also tells us that love is practical. He says, listen, if you've got resources... If you have this world's goods and you see a brother who is in need and you don't do anything about it, that's not love. In fact, what Jesus did is he took his resources and he fed and he healed and he cared for. And whether your resources are finances, whether it's time, whether it's attention, whether it's a gift, whether it's an ability, whether it's knowledge... There is a significant call for a practical application of love. If you see a need in someone else's life and you have the ability to do something about it, that's love when you do it. If you see a need and you have the ability to do something about it and don't do it, that's not love. So there's a practical side of this. It's love. You, you, you put it into action. He also describes the fact that there is an emotional side of this. There, there is an affectionate side of this. He says if you, see, if you have the world's goods and you see a brother who, who has need and you close your heart to them. You see, this isn't just an accounting principle. This isn't just an obligation. This isn't just a list of things that you have to do. Love means it stirs and it moves our heart. When we read Scripture, when we, when we read the story of Jesus in the Gospels, 
time and time again, we come across moments where it says Jesus is moved with compassion. Jesus is stirred. We, we, we find at least one place where Jesus has to step away because he weeps. He is overcome with emotion. It is too much. Love needs to speak into our heart and into our emotions. We have spent so much time training ourselves to isolate our emotions and our heart out of self-protection. And I don't want to be harmed. So we take our heart and our emotions and our affections and we often put them behind as many walls as we possibly can. And we feel safer that way. But the truth is that real love means that we do live exposed. We, we do get stirred. And sometimes that stirring is no fun. Sometimes to have our emotions churned, oh man, we... we, 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 we We'd rather be out in six-foot seas. We, we don't want to do that. But real love comes from, comes through, comes to the heart. And then the, the, the last part of this paragraph, giving us the example of Jesus, he says, boy, this is, this is the word. Do not just love, just don't love just in words And talk, but in deed and in truth. One of the most damaging things we can do in a relationship, one of the most damaging things that we can do for our witness for Jesus is to say a bunch of words that have no connection with how we're living our life. If you tell somebody, I love you, but there's nothing about your actions, the rearranging of your life that gives evidence. And in fact, sometimes it's the exact opposite of love. That's incredibly harmful. It's incredibly harmful when we want to speak on behalf of the name of Jesus and say, we are the people of God. We are the people of God. We want to say that you are loved by God. But there's no actual thing that happens. There's no deed. There's no action. There's no doing that's connected to that. And it's broken. And if we're going to follow the perfect example of Jesus, then, then we need to be people who don't just love in word, but to the ultimate deeds that we possibly can. In this passage, we, we, we see this terrible example of not uh, loving others. We see the perfect example of what loving others looks like. And then we also see these amazing personal benefits to loving others. Now, that, that's not the reason why we do it. But, but this passage of Scripture, man, th this may be the area that, that really excited me the most in looking at this passage. When we grow in our love for others, it confirms our faith. You see, we've been looking at this 
book of God's Word, we, we've been looking for the last few weeks, and there's this question about what does it take to stay inside the kingdom of God? What does it stay, take to stay saved? And we've said, listen, you and I have ups and downs, but God doesn't change His mind about us. And so we, we've made that really clear, but sometimes in the back of our mind, we still have doubts. We still have worries. There's still a whisper that says, I don't know whether you're where you think you are. I don't think God's really happy with you. God has probably written you off. Maybe you're not really saved. Maybe you're not getting this right. Maybe you're just a big phone. Hey, you get those words in the back of your mind. But one of those things says is, if you love, then you know that you are abiding in Him. In fact, the passage does. It, it does talk about those who do not love, those who hate, that they're not abiding in the truth. But those who do love, they are. And what this, thing, what this passage says is that when you are loving and you are increasing in your love, then you have confidence as a believer. You have confidence. Like, wait a minute. I am being changed. I am being transformed. I am becoming more like what God wants me to be. How do you know? Well, you're actually learning how to love. You're, you're, you're learning how to love more deeply. You are loving how to love more widely. You are learning how to love more easily. You are learning how to love longer. And that becomes this boost of spiritual confidence. The sermon series that we looked at before this one was Growing Confident Believers. Here's another piece to being a confident believer. You can see your life being transformed as you increase in your ability to love other people. You're like, wait a minute. God's at work in my life. This is real. And in fact, it goes a little further, and it says, and this confidence can provide a comfort for you because sometimes your heart, the back of your mind says, no, 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 no. But it says, no, 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 God is bigger than the back of your heart, the back of your mind. And you can have comfort because you see how God is transforming your life. Love one another. Now, this doesn't mean that a person who loves one another never has conflict. Can you believe that? It is possible to love one another and still have conflict, still have hard times, still have tension. I promise you, I have happened to have researched this. It, it is possible to love Jesus, to love one another, and still have tension in places. In fact, that is so real that there was a time in which Peter comes to Jesus and says, hey, are we really supposed to forgive people seven times? And Jesus says to him, you're going to want to sit down for this. You're supposed to forgive 70 times seven, which is basically first century talk for infinity times infinity. He speaks this to us. Because even though we love one another, sometimes we're still going to get sideways with each other. So I, I just don't want you to have this wrong expectation that says, man, if, if I will rightly love everyone, I will never have conflict anymore. In fact, if we rightly love one another, 
one of the things that we learn how to do is forgive one another, restore broken places, seek peace, extend grace. Now, this is all really, really good stuff. I got it from right there. But it leaves one question. Who are we talking about here? Who are we supposed to love? If I draw a circle around who the love one another's are, who are we talking about? Now, there's a part of this, I think, that first read, I think it says when we say one another, we're, we're talking about the people in the room here. Or we're talking about the, the household of faith, our, our fellow believers. And when we think one another, we think, yes, the, the, the people that we share our faith with, we should love those people. But, but what if he's talking about everyone? Now, it's a little bit confusing here because John has spent quite a bit of time in this passage already talking about the people who used to be in the house used to be with us, used to be in the household of faith, and they're not anymore. Is he talking about loving them as well? It's a little bit confusing. In fact, as I was trying to answer this question, some folks have counted it up and said that John uses the term brother 19 times in this epistle. And in none of those 19 times is it clear who he's talking about. Thanks a lot, John. A uh, little help here. I'm trying to draw my circle of where I'm supposed to love, who are the one another's, and you're not helping at all. In fact, I think John would say, listen, if, if you're looking to make a distinction between who you're supposed to love and who you don't have to love, John says, I can't help you with that. Now, there are some people that are easier to love, aren't they? There are some people that we are kind of wired to love, that we are better at loving. Now, this may not be true about you, but it's probably true about at least one of the people sitting next to you. You know who we're really good at loving? First service got it. Ourselves. That's who we're really, really good at loving. You know who, who we're also really good at loving? Is, is people who remind us of ourselves. I like them. They're just like me. You know who else we're good at loving? We're, we're, we're good at, at loving people who in some way, fashion, shape, form are going to benefit me. I like those folks. They're, they're, they're kind of looking out for me. I, when they succeed, I succeed. Ah, I like that. So I, I'm really good at loving myself. I'm, I'm pretty good at loving people who remind me of me. I really like people who benefit me. But then there's a gap. And it gets a little bit more difficult when you come up against people who don't benefit us at all. And then there's a, a gap when we come up against people who are completely different than me. Look different, think different, speak different, dress different, 
vote different, sing different, everything different. They won't even live in the same place. Completely different than me. And so I'm still trying to figure out where do I draw the circle of who I'm supposed to love. So if we're going to answer that, we've got to go a little bit behind John because John and his 19, 19 times referencing brother without giving us a hand who our brother is. We've got to go a little further back. Did, did, did you notice John quoted Jesus here? It's, a, it's almost a direct quote from the Sermon on the Mount. He says in verse 15, it's one of the harder verses in the whole passage, but it's not John, it's Jesus. In verse 15, he says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. That's a, that's a pretty strong statement. And I don't know that I would go around saying that, particularly you know, around the Hatfields and the McCoys. I, I wouldn't have that conversation. You only make that kind of a strong conversation statement if you haven't heard that from somebody else. And Jesus is the one that says, listen, you all have made these lists of these rules, and you've tried to keep yourself on the right side of those rules, and you think just because you haven't killed anybody, you're doing just great. He says, man, woman, if you look at somebody with hate in your heart, Man, you have sinned. If you look at someone with hate in your heart, he says, it's the same thing. It has broken the dignity and the value and the worth, the image of God on that person's life. And so in this same sermon, this Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this in verse 43. He says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and obviously hate your enemy. I mean, that's how it works, right? That's the fortune cookie. Love your neighbor. Man, hate those people who hate you. It's the only way you're going to stay above, stay above water. He says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same thing? This is the message from the beginning. Love one another. But where do I draw the circle? Jesus would tell us every time we come up to a person, we take our giant sharpie and we put them inside the circle. All week this week, 
all of life, every person that you come in contact with, in person, online, we draw the circle. They are one of the people that we are supposed to love. Not easy, is it? I was thinking about it. I think the struggle is sometimes loving people that we don't know. I don't know them. I don't speak the same language as they do. Whether they live in a foreign country or whether they live down the street, man, I, I don't get them. How can they? Makes no sense to me. And so they're strangers. How can I love this person that I hardly even know? Jesus says, draw the circle. They're inside the circle. It's a challenge to love people that we're so different from that we hardly even know. But let's be honest. Sometimes it's harder to love the people that we do know. When we know everything about them. When we've been exposed to all of the deepest things in their life, to their flaws. When we've had to rub up against them. And if loving a stranger is hard, sometimes loving the people that you know best is hard. But once again, Jesus says when you come up to that person, even if you've been in conflict with them for 15 years, we draw them inside the circle. Those are the people that we're supposed to love people that we know to our best, the people that we, we, we barely understand, they're inside the circle. Here's the message from the beginning, that you love one another. Again, John anchors this, he, he anchors this on, this is how you know love, that he laid down his life for us. That's what we come to recognize here at the table is this moment that Jesus laid down his life for us.